0: It's Joe Manchewski, the host of Better Buildings for Humans. Our mission is to expand the conversation about how the buildings that we live, work and play in impact our well-being. I'll be having conversations with leading researchers in building science, with architects and with a variety of wellness practitioners to tie it all together. I hope you'll be part of the conversation. I was really excited about the opportunity to speak with today's guests. Stefano Schiavone of UC Berkeley studies all of the factors for human comfort while simultaneously looking for ways to reduce energy consumption. His body of work aligns perfectly with the reason Better Buildings for Humans was created in the first place. You're going to love listening to Stefano. He's insightful, occasionally mind-blowing, and most importantly, he is very optimistic about our ability to create better buildings. And by the way, if this content is valuable to you, if, if you're enjoying it, please hit like and subscribe. Thank you. Stefano, welcome. It is an absolute honor to have this opportunity to have a conversation with you. Um, Let's start this whole thing by you telling us uh, where you work and a little bit about your research.
1: Hi, Joe, nice to be here. I'm Stefano Schiavone. I'm a professor of architecture and civil environmental engineering at the University of California, uh, Berkeley. I have a background in mechanical and energy engineering. And in times, I start to look at how can we reduce the impact that building has on the environment, mainly looking at the energy that they use for heating, for cooling, uh, for ventilation. And I also look at the impact that the indoor environment has on people. So how the temperature, the lighting, the acoustics, uh, the air quality affect our health. Our well-being, our ability to learn, our ability to work.
0: Well, that is wonderful because those are the kinds of things I want to talk about. And and you've done some really diverse things. So we're gonna we're gonna try to cover um, a, a lot of stuff today. So I'm uh, really excited, and I think the people that that, that watch this uh, that watch this channel will be really excited too. So let's start by talking about um, your research on. Um, the, Common sources of occupant dissatisfaction. Uh, I really like yeah. that one. So uh, temperature was was the number yeah. two most important factor. Is that as simple as, you know, everybody wants to be in control of the thermostat, or is there something more to it than that?
1: I think that that's the most important point, that uh, um, differently with other conditions, for example, lighting, where, it's relatively doable to have some kind of control of it that you can buy a desk light that you know can change the color and the intensity we don't have similar solution or at least easy to use solution for temperature and so we've been going around now for decades asking people what they like and they don't like in buildings uh, and something that came out systematically throughout the years is that people are unhappy with the thermal environment. We only have roughly 40% of the people that are happy and 40% that are unhappy and 20% that do not have a strong opinion. And we know that the most effective strategies to increase their comfort is to provide some kind of control. If you are in a private office, it's easy you have control if that office is controlled with a thermostat that is able to, you know, react to the condition and your request it. But then if you're in an open space, or if you need to share your space with multiple people, then we have the problem that usually the temperature or the thermal condition is the same for most people there. Right,
0: right. Are, are, are there any sort of strategies or technologies for that sort of scenario?
1: Yes, and some of them many people are already using. When you go around buildings, an office environment, you often see a heater under the desk, and right. that is a way to personalize that. And so we support this type of solution, but we are looking for energy efficient option because a typical heater is 1500 watts, that's too much. Yeah, We are looking for a way to provide the same effect, but using much less energy. And so, for example, in winter. Uh, a good solution are electric blankets or heated mat. You can put your feet on a heated mat that you put on the floor. Maybe it's uh, 50, 100 watts, and it gives you a strong sensation of well-being. Or if you are, for example, in a residential building and you watch TV or you go to bed, an yes. electric blanket tend to be more efficient than warming up the entire house.
0: Really interesting. Do you think that will be uh, an easy adoption in, a, in an office environment?
1: In an office environment, uh, uh, there is two main solutions that we have seen people using. Yeah. They, basically, they heat it under the desk, and we want to avoid that, given that it's so energy consuming. So we prefer all radium panel, or even better, anything that is contact-based, because when the heat is in contact with your body, it's ordered of be more efficient. And so that's why a floor mat works better than a heater, or we have done a lot of research on heated chair. They work very well, but still, we didn't see them a deep penetration in the market.
0: That's really, really interesting. Okay, I have to ask you about the way, the methodology that you used um, to do some of this research, uh, and specifically your wearable technologies. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell us a little bit about the wearable technology you used in order to to, uh, to study the the, uh, the um, occupant satisfaction and dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah, so um, we make buildings for people, and so taking into account uh, what they like and what they don't like is very important. And many of the solutions that we use, for example, in the heating domain or cooling domain. It's a thermostat, but the temperature is not a good proxy of how people are feeling. A much better way is to ask people, do they like, do they don't like, do they want warmer, do they want cooler? And of course, that is the best option out there, but it's also bothering people. Maybe people do not want to invest the time for that. And so trying to get closer to people, for example, measuring their skin temperature or their heart rate, may help us to create a better uh, thermal environment. I didn't do research, for example, on lighting, but some people are looking at, for example, at your pupil size and maybe regulating the lighting level on that. The problem is that the technology for doing that is still far away from being available on the market. But we have, for the wearable aspect, we have already solutions that are relatively affordable, somehow, used already in the marketplace, and therefore we could learn something from the information that people has and provide with this wearable and use them to control. And in you know, if you're in an office environment, maybe you do not need automation for uh, heating and cooling. You you know, if you have a fan, you can directly control yourself. If you have a a heating element, you can control it. But for example, when you are sleeping, that becomes very important. Because there, you're not able to regulate the temperature, and therefore, we want to avoid people waking up in the middle of the night and that they are too hot or too cold, sweating. Right. And so in that condition, having a physiological parameter controlling the environment uh, may be viable.
0: That is wonderful. That is really, really interesting. And really, uh, gosh, I I, uh, hadn't realized that we've gotten that far. And I I hope we keep moving in that direction. Uh, Along the same line, you did some really interesting and maybe even controversial research um, on on the relationship between in, indoor temperature and, and, and work performance. And yeah. um, you found that there was no correlation um, between temperature and work performance. Um, I know, you know, the industry has kind of had that magic 22 degrees Celsius number for, for many, many years. Um, and you've debunked that 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 belief. Can you can
1: you tell us a little bit about what that means and why
0: that's important?
1: Yeah, it's a, first of all, it's a complex uh, topic. And so it requires thinking and nuances, and it's hard to uh, simplify. But there are some important aspects. The first one is that measuring work performance uh, um, has been proven challenging, at least for the type of experiment that we uh, tend to do. And so we tend to simplify the issue of work performance by looking at some of the dimension, you know, how fast you type, how many calculations you can do, how well you remember a certain sequence of numbers. But we all realize that our work performance is a complex uh, metrics, and uh, that is, even companies you know, have some challenges uh, to measure them in a reliable way or in a way that uh, reflects uh, the outcome that the company are interested into. But, uh, uh, my aim on the work of the banking that the relationship between temperature and uh, work performance comes from a true idea. First of all, when I look at the data, I say mm, this is an artifact of the model that they used. Meaning that if they had another assumption in their head, they would have been able to obtain an equally predictive model, and so in. in the approach that they use, they assume that uh, the relationship between performance and uh, temperature was following a, a parabolic, a quadratic curve with one peak point and then a collapse. And there is another theory um, happening around that Say, you know, maybe you're okay within a certain range, and then your performance tend to degrade. This one is named the extended U. Shape And there's been quite a lot of work in several other fields showing that that could be a a better representation. And we all know that if you're at 5 degrees C or if you're at 45 degrees C, your work performance has been reduced. I think no one doubts that. Right. Our discussion is what if or what is happening within the building environment when temperature usually rarely vary are below 18 or above 28? Is there an effect on performance? And our work, I think, put a solid uh, stop to the idea that there is one temperature, or at least that you can have an equation that uh, uh, point out to a specific point. But we didn't disprove that the thermal environment may affect performance. I think that that's still possible. I don't think that that specific work or that specific 22 is the right value. And there are several reasons of why. First of all, they took studies from you know, different conditions, different people, different way to measure work performance, and then they put them together. And when they put them together, if you look at the data, it's basically cloud. That is almost impossible to detect the pattern. In fact, when we recreated their database, we started to fit a model where the peak performance were 20 degrees, mm-hmm. other model where there was a wide range of temperatures were acceptable, and the result was always the same, same prediction accuracy. And the prediction accuracy was very low, 5%, meaning that the best possible model explained only 5% of the variation that you see in the data. The other 95% was not related to temperature, means that there was something else that was causing that variation in performance. And also when we use a model to say that there is no relationship, it has equal uh, performance on the data. And so we first concluded that we cannot use the value of peak 22, and I don't think that anyone can dispute that. Um, We also expanded our database collecting more data looking at newer study, and the results were similar. We knew that the results were very controversial, and so we did a couple of steps that uh, that I think are important in science. We took the data and we made them public, so anyone else out there can look at the data that we collected and check out if our results are correct. And we also built a tool that people can use to explore our database to see if by looking at the data in a different way, they can find a particular uh, trend. Since it has been published, I don't think that we found anyone pointing out to an error in that work and so we are pretty confident. I guess that what is needed now is, should we build a better experiment? Should we try to run the same experiment in different parts of the world? Should we look at the thermal environment in a little bit more nuanced way than just temperature? Maybe it's the combination of Airspeed, humidity, the type of activity, and many personal factors. Maybe there are people that, when they are exposed to a stressor, answer differently than others. We accept that in you know physical sciences or in sport sciences, where you know if I run for hundred meters, my performance are much worse than the performance of my son that is a teenager, and probably are better than the performance of my father that is older. Than me, and so it's possible that when we receive a stressor, we may react differently.
0: Are there other factors within indoor environmental quality that follow the same sort of non—I'll call it a non-pattern um, or or no correlation, or like for example, natural light or views. Um, it, it, we know that there are extremes like a, a glare situation will definitely reduce productivity, but is, 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 you know, do, do you find an optimization uh, in terms of daylight, for example?
1: Um, I'm not a daylighting expert, sure. but I expected that, uh, that this phenomenon of not having one value, or at least one value that is valid for everybody, but having maybe a range and the range that change on, according to some parameter, is reasonable. It's like, you know, is there an ideal blood pressure or is there an ideal heart rate? We know that uh, right. it changes. Uh, it, it may be that the blood pressure within a certain range is fine, and it may be that a certain illuminance or luminance level uh, may be okay. For some people, it may be different for other people. It's just that by better studying the topic, by going deeper, by having uh, more accurate experiment by being able to merge the data collected from different labs, we may be able to have a more personalized understanding of what we need. And I think that that's reasonable also for any environmental quality uh, uh, situation that goes from you know air quality to lighting to acoustics to the thermal environment. It is possible that there will be a range where we work well and range where we do not work well, and that those ranges may not be universal.
0: That's really interesting. That was actually going to be my next question uh, as to how personal that was going to be, and, and you've just answered it. What, what's your guess? Is it is it going to be not universal?
1: Yeah, I, I th- yeah. think it's... Uh, we have many things in common as humans, uh, and so there will... I think that everybody will find a 35-degree C room uncomfortable to work. Uh, But then what will be the best condition for each of us may be slightly different. So I don't think that the difference between people will be 15 degrees, but I think it's reasonable to expect that 5 to 8 could be possible. I work best at 21. Someone may, may work best at 26. And we need to find a way to personalize the environment
0: interesting um a, a factory floor scenario um, <laughs> it, it, uh, have you have you considered that scenario at all and and you know the complexities with you know being on a you know like the equivalent of an assembly line um, yeah. how, how how complex does that make the si- the situation
1: I think that in, in a factory floor where error can lead to incident or to a problem with the product that you're having, it's important to create a comfortable and safe condition. And so um, there's been work showing that if we improve factory floors by keeping them cleaner, by organizing them better, by providing natural lighting, by providing biophilic elements that could be a positive outcome. And I think that that we are going towards a future where work is always becoming more complex. It requires more of demand. Therefore, we need to provide a safe and comfortable environment in almost any place where people are working. Wonderful.
0: Okay, let's change the topic just a little bit. Um, I want to talk about fresh air. Um, you know, I, I when I think of IEQ, I think of of daylighting, views, temperatures, and of course, fresh air. Uh, I um I saw a study recently that talked about you know the negative impact on on performance when CO two levels are too high. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think current building codes are are adequate in general um, in, in order to bring in sufficient quantities of of fresh air to increase occupant satisfaction and and productivity.
1: Are the codes where they uh, need to be? um, Even the issue of air quality is very complex, uh, meaning that uh, um, there is uh, a wide range of pollutants in the air. And so we ventilate uh, for different objectives. Sometimes we ventilate to have the air perceived, uh, by people. Other times, we ventilate uh, with the objective to keep specific pollutants below a certain value. And so, because we don't want uh, to have, uh, for example, uh, particles uh, or VOC at a too high level in the Mm -hmm. space. uh, And uh, there are several techniques to achieve those type of goals. Uh, One of them is avoiding that you have uh, bad sources in the environment. And so, if you know that uh, frying food uh, in, your, in your house uh, is you know, a source of pollutant, you may decide to not do that or to fry that outside. or if there is yeah. other source like combustion inside a building you try to avoid. or if you know that some material emits more than other you avoid to bring that material.
0: Right.
1: That's one line of defense, controlling the source. The other line of defense is to dilute that pollutant by bringing clean air. That clean air could come from the outside. could be air that somehow you clean it by, with filtration, for example, or in case of viruses uh, with disinfection. And so you take that air and you bring it into the space. And the airflow rate that has been determined usually try to meet several goals at the same time. Sometimes they try to meet the goal of, uh, you know, not having too many people complaining that they are smelling but also trying to have some health uh, objective in mind. And uh, the premier standard in the United States is ASHA 62.1, that suggests ventilation rate that are proportional to the number of people and to then how much material you have in your space. And so it's proportional to the floor area of the space. And they are slightly lower than, for example, the one that European are suggesting. Uh, Right now, there's been a big debate on should we increase them for the reduction of spread of disease. And it seems that there is evidence showing that if you provide more air, you may have an advantage of that. And that has been one of the techniques that has been using during COVID. And now those techniques are becoming legislation or new standards with the idea that if you're in a period, for example, of high transmission of airborne disease like influenza, you mm-hmm. may want... To find ways to bring more outdoor air in, or have other means to clean the air, like for example, filtration and disinfection.
0: So, if you bring in more air, um, does that have a negative impact on your
1: uh, energy consumption? Is that a trade-off? In some situation, yes. For example, if uh, your outside climate—I'm right now in Singapore, it's very huh. hot and humid. If right. you bring more outdoor air, it will be expensive. If you are in, uh, in winter in Minneapolis or in Oslo, uh, bringing more air uh, may lead to an increase in energy consumption. There are other situations where if you are lucky enough to live in Sydney or in California, and uh, you bring more outdoor air, you don't have a major energy implication in some times of the year. Um, and So in that situation, there could be other considerations, like for example, do we want to do some heat recovery? And right. so, when you bring outside the air, you pre warm with the air that you exhaust. Or are you trying to have a more personalized environment? So, you allow the building to fluctuate in you know, a wider range of temperature, but at the same time, uh, you know, you provide comfort with a personalized solution. So, I think that it's not a right. necessary negative outcome bringing more outdoor air. It, it, and it pushes maybe the design community and the manufacturer to think about products that could reduce the environmental impact. Uh, but I think it's possible that in some situations there will be an increase in energy consumption.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. Oh, there's always there's always trade-offs, but uh, you you've you've described ways for, for reducing those trade-offs. So that's uh that's great to hear. Um, I have to talk a little bit about daylight views. It's it's a world that yeah. I I'm involved in. Um, I, I know you've done some research with Michael Cantu, who, who I spoke to mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the year, um, studying uh, view quality and and glare. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the impact of windows on uh, on thermal disc uh, thermal comfort. Um, you know, is there a trade off between views and optimizing views and and thermal comfort? And, have you have you studied that? Uh, mm-hmm. That sort of balancing act?
1: First of all, I, I think that view is a very exciting topic. Uh, yes. I, yes. I, I didn't start my research on it, uh, um, and we had quite a lot of knowledge on daylighting and lighting and glare. Yeah. But the issue of what we see about well, Windows has been somehow neglected. And we are far behind on that. And so I'm excited to see PhD students and researchers and companies want to better understand and it's a complex topic that imply, you know what we see outside uh, how clearly we see through the glass uh, how much access we have to these uh, views and so i think that in view it's important uh for people well-being and health and one dimension probably a secondary one is the one connected to the thermal environment we have done some experiments showing that when you are close to a windows you are more forgiving a, if the thermal conditions are slightly off, uh, overall I think that the interaction between uh, lighting and thermal are relatively minor. People are looking at them, and you know, if you're in a room that is you know uh, with very warm colors and warm light, uh, maybe you feel slightly warmer. But these are not the things that are the game changer. I think. I think that we want a view for much more fundamental aspect that is. Uh, that desire to be connected to the outdoor, ideally to nature, that desire to be in a dynamic environment. Uh, you remember when we discussed earlier about the issue of the peak condition? I think that yes. that idea is problematic because that idea led us to think that oh, we could put people in a box, give it the perfect light, the perfect temperature, the perfect noise, and people will be happy. It's like to say, you know, I'm going to force you to eat pizza. I think pizza is great, but if you eat it every day, at a point you will get tired. Right. Somehow, similarly, we need to create a dynamic uh, indoor condition, and the outdoor environment is a perfect source of that uh, condition. You know, the clouds move, the wind moves yes. the leaves. I can see animals. I can see people. Way more interesting than uh, you know, a static, perfect, uh, uh, bright light.
0: Right, right, yeah. The movement of the sun across the sky and the yes. slight, slight variations in the in the spectrum as you get closer to the horizon at the beginning and end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Have you ever looked at um, diffuse light uh, as a way, hmm. like, in combination with with transparent glass, like 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 a light diffuse diffused light that's softer and and. Uh, you know, less uh, creates less thermal discomfort and, and, and less glare situation. Is that was that involved in your research
1: at all? No, I did not uh, um, uh, look at this aspect. I, okay. I know how it's important to have light coming in different form. Uh, first of all, we know that we need a large amount of light. It seems right. that when we are indoor, we are exposed to too little. And I'm big proponent of having people close to the facade uh, because this connection to the outside is important Um, and we know that when you are close to the facade suddenly it becomes very complex the problem you have acoustics you have lighting you have glare you have thermal condition uh, you have asymmetry and so I i want to invite our community to not try to keep condition the same all the time. It seems that from multiple aspects, it's like, you know, we've learned in time that stimulating our body is important. You know, at a certain point for, throughout our evolution, when we didn't have to do manual work, we thought that stay sitting on the sofa all the time was great and eating as much as possible and never be hungry was great. And then now we learn that too much of good things can be bad. And so sometimes, not eating too much or be hungry for a while or do physical exercise is a good stimulant. We know, start to understand that if the same is true. also for, for example, the thermal environment exposing our body to um, some extreme, not extreme that damage us, but for example, you know, swimming in a cold pool or doing a sauna may be good for our body to be exposed. I think that any type of of variation may be valuable for our outcome. And so thinking about also how the lighting environment could sometime expose us to dark condition or bright condition may be valuable. Interesting.
0: That's really, really cool. I'm I'm going to change the subject entirely once again, because I just, I wonder, there's so many many things (laughs) that we could talk about. I want to make sure I cover a few. Um, The... the, um, ASHRAE Global Thermal Comfort Database, part two, mm-hmm. I guess it is. Uh, I, I understand you have some involvement with that. What, what's, what's your role in that
1: project? So um, roughly some decades ago, ASHRAE put together a database of real measurement in comfort and building, and that was the basis of the adaptive comfort that Richard Deere and Gale Breaker in the United States and Australia led. Uh, Thanks to that work, people started to follow a standardized protocol to assess comfort in real buildings. And so, in years after years, those data has been accumulated and our aim, and so this is a combined efforts between, again, the University of Sydney, uh, UC Berkeley, and many other researchers all around the world that help us, uh, with many of them being volunteers, uh, to try to say, okay, can we put this data together? Because in the moment that you have a larger database, you may have a deeper understanding. And we've seen this been a catalyst of research. I rarely notice that when you create the data set, how many research, because usually researchers have some idea of what they want to study. And then they collect the data, and then they do an analysis, and then it's ended there. But it's possible that the same data could help us to answer different questions. And I have a personal story connected to that. When I was a student, uh, I looked at the original Asher Global Thermal Comfort Database 1, and I wanted to build a model on relating how much clothing we wear based on the outside temperature. And this is important because when we do energy modeling, we often simplify the world and assume that we have only a winter, in a summer clothing, but we know that how we dress change almost you know, every week. And in shoulder season, we have something in the middle between summer and the winter. And so I was able to build that model thanks to the database. And so we wanted to do something similar now that we have a much larger database. And we have seen people now looking at the database and started to come up with a new idea on how comfort can be done it will be great to start to do similar efforts in other fields, in lighting, in view. And so the efforts of each group can be multiplied by putting, putting together the data and so having a more reliable uh, database.
0: Fantastic. Um, do you plan on using that database for any particular research uh, in, in the near future?
1: We use already the database, for example, to prove that the most common thermal comfort model that is out there, the PMV PPD model, yeah, is not very accurate. In the PMV, we found that it's able to get the right answer one time out of three, Yeah, uh, meaning that two times out of three is not getting the right result. We use the same model to, for example, to build some machine learning based, AI based tool uh, to, let's say, try to predict comfort by just using air temperature instead of a more comprehensive system. And uh, uh, we also show that the PPD, the prediction of the percentage of dissatisfied, is completely unreliable. And based on that database, we remove it from the standard, the ASHRAE standard 55, because we realize that it was not, uh, you know, it has a prediction accuracy close to zero. Oh, okay. That's quite substantial. Um, yeah, we were able to change standards and the way that people design tanks to that uh, model. And for example, in the case of the accuracy of the PNB, we don't have out there a better model right now that can substitute that. But at least it gives a guideline to designer to understand that, that maybe you know, it doesn't make sense to try to do an optimization and improving 0.01 of the PMV because it's not very really accurate and so it allowed them to understand that you know some type of optimization may not be needed.
0: fantastic. All right, one final question. Modern building codes are putting a lot of emphasis on building envelope thermal performance. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the most energy efficient building envelope is 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 opaque which disconnects the building occupants from the outside world. Do you worry, are you concerned that it might drive the design of buildings back to the 1970s when there was lots of opaque elements and the occasional punch-out, and again, further isolate us from our natural world that we crave so much?
1: Is that a concern of yours? I'm not particularly concerned about it. Uh, Because I see some major trend uh, in the industry. The first one is that we think much more about creating healthy environment. And uh, in order to achieve that goal, uh, we know that access to view, access to natural light uh, is uh, important. And plus many other dimensions, for example, the one of reducing the spread of um, infectious uh, disease. Um, and that is a major driver. Another important driver is the, that we are not only looking at energy, but we are looking at carbon. So both like how much energy building are using, but also how much energy or embedded carbon there is in the building material. So we are starting to be much more nuanced in the uh, discussion. Yeah. Um, we also learn that, uh, uh, there are several trade-offs between, uh, view or daylighting and the thermal but there are also other dimensions that play an important role Uh, for example the issue of acoustics or the issue of biophilia and so my idea is that the designer are becoming better Uh, they have more tools to be more refined and uh, be able to give more detail or more nuanced solution the fact also that we have much better tools for designing allowed for a more thoughtful um, uh, result uh, and so overall i've seen a progression in the industry uh, on being able to embrace complexity and come up with solutions that are better than the one that we had in the past and as you notice i do not answer specifically to your question and say, is one solution better to the other because it's so contextual that -hmm. if you design a building in Singapore, you may need a ratio of transparent to opaque for a residential building that is different from a commercial building that is different from something that you design in the Bay Area. Something that I would love to see in uh, design codes, Uh, it's related to two other issues. Uh, that to me are very dear. Uh, the first is that I would love to see a more homogenization, global homogenization of standards. You know, if you design a phone, if you design a computer, if you design a technical communication system, if you design food, if you design an airplane, the way that you, the standard that you follow in um. China may be very similar to the one that you have in uh, uh, Germany and very similar to the one that you have in Canada. Uh, with the building sector, is extremely fragmented. A building that can be built in San Francisco cannot be built in LA, and it cannot be built in New York, or it cannot be built in Berlin. And that is slowing down our industry. Of course, local conditions are important, but I think that there is a base... That is the same that could become much more uh, global and i would love to see us going towards uh, a more common ground that still allowed for some local flexibility and innovation but uh, some structure are the same so this is an important aspect the other important aspect i think that the way that we interact with standards it's uh, um, very very old Uh, almost medieval, you know, you find the PDF you download it, uh, you don't know if it's the most updated version, and then you search it. Uh, The more the world has moved on, uh, we we have now the ability to uh, have access, we should have the ability to have access to all the code at the same time, have AI tools that help us to navigate them, and have a lot of automation that check if our design comply with the code. Uh, and that's a big issue right now that the designer, I, I talk with many of them, they are concerned every time that they submit a design document, they do not know if the authority having jurisdiction will approve or not. It's too arbitrary. We need to go towards a future where you may have a software that at least in part will be able to check do you comply or not. And there are things, you know, egress, door size, uh, loading, how many toilets, how many houses I need. It right. should be, you know, easy to, to automate. And so I hope that the codes will go in those two directions.
0: That is wonderful. That is wonderful. Stefano. I can't thank you enough. That wait until the architectural world sees this inter- this mm-hmm. conversation. I think there's a lot to be learned. I think you're going to get a lot of people uh thinking and 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 stimulated and excited about uh, about the future of uh, of design especially with regards to the uh to the impact it's going to have on the occupants. Uh, thank you, and and I appreciate your time, and, and the architects of, of the world and designers of the world will appreciate your time as well. Thank you.
1: Joe, thank you very much.